I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello. And welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, also here up there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, my good friend, fellow University of Tennessee alumni, we can we can say that every time, uh, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Uh, Will Warren is here. Will, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing great. It's lovely outside, uh, mm. bizarrely warm for February. Mm. And I have been advised by my legal team to not say anything whatsoever mm. about a, a certain school south of here. So uh, we are we are backing out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, pretty good week, pretty good day. Um, but I did run yesterday, and it was like it's like sixty five at sunrise. Mm-hmm. And all I could think about was one, why is it like this in February, and two, this is going to be four months out of the year, and I just got to mentally prep for it. I thought you liked 60s. I thought 60s, 50s was your bread and butter in the morning. 50s more. So 60, well, it's humidity dependent. And yesterday mm. it was just like wet and hot. Yeah. And that's the worst. Just I the mean, worst East Tennessee is just weird. The weather, like this morning it was, um, it was gloomy. But then mm. I remember we had this like seven minute rainstorm, like just yes. crazy rainstorm, wind, everything. Thought the house was going to blow over. And then it's just sunny and humid uh right after for the rest of the afternoon but it was nice got to i was doing my old man thing like i'm ready to enter the phase will where i just get a rocking chair um sit in my front porch and just Hmm. read with uh khaleesi the dog out front like she does these sniffs which is very very cute and i'm very pro it (laughs) is where she i can see her little nose and nostrils flaring and just getting all the sniffs it's great there's nothing more relaxing for me than reading uh, the reading in the front yard in a rocking chair with Cleesey the dog in the front yard, just staring at children and hope and me being like, no, she doesn't like kids. <laughs> so I have to be careful if she's going to run over and bark at them. Um, but well, you we, make me want to buy a rocking chair. I don't own one. You need to get a rocking chair. Will. I would like to, I think that's a good Southern grandpa thing to have. Speaking of, I'm just glad you're alive. That what was going on in Oak Ridge. It was trending yesterday. We had to check in on um, my father-in-law over there. Like, I don't know what was going on with Y12, <laughs> but uh, Oak Ridge. Also was... been advised by legal team to not say anything. <laughs> yeah. And oh. uh, I'm walking back in my head what I was about to say in light of the Y12 thing, but there you holding go. out. Uh, subscribe to our Patreon for all the bad legal <laughs> advice where we can't get in trouble. Patreon. <laughs> Well, uh, but no, we we are not in, but we are not going to comment on those two things uh, on mm-hmm. air here because uh, I would like to be careful. Um, also, Will, the Vols lost again. Mm-hmm. 
the Tennessee Volunteers have entered the zone where no Rick Barnes team ever wants to be, which is eight losses. No Barnes team that's had eight or more losses has had a deep tourney run ever. A lot of folks are still throwing out, hey, they can either make the Final Four or they can lose game one. Folks, folks, three commas. I don't think they can make the Final Four. I think we can go ahead and cross that one off uh, at this point, Will. I'm pretty... It's not even like doom and gloom. I just think now we're five of seven. Like It's just been an awful month of February. They're crawling to the end. We'll see. They might not even like. They might not even be in the top four come tournament time in the SEC. I don't know. I just I feel kind of bad because I would really like to know what this team would have looked like if they had Julian and Triple J during this whole stretch and they were a full full unit. And I mean, it, just having at least one of those two wings um, in every one of those games would have been nice. But I don't know. I just. It's just kind of sad. It's just kind of a just kind of a bummer. I don't really have a strong take. I'm just kind of sad about Tennessee basketball. What what do you make of the latest loss at Texas A&M on uh, what was it Monday night, Tuesday night? What was it? Tuesday. So yeah. I'm going to. I hear what you're saying. Mm. Um, and I think it's all reasonable. You know, you never want to lose five of seven at any point in the season, mm. especially as you like wind down to the season. The games just kind of feel more important. Uh, I do think there's something to Tennessee having a full-strength roster for less than a third of its games this season. Mm -hmm. It just kind of is what it is, and it's finally caught up with them depth-wise. And obviously the offense is not very good. Mm -hmm. But I would like to do my own folks here. Okay. Um, This is still, as of the time of writing, and almost certainly will remain the number six team in Ken Palm. Consensus Mm -hmm. top eight in every single metric out there. They still own wins over number three, number seven, and number nine, and have a chance to beat number 15 next Tuesday. And play number 10 on the road very close. People forget about that Arizona game. Down Mm -hmm. two players. Um, And this is all, you know, it's convenient to say this about Tennessee, of course, but I wrote an article today on the Substack, Mm -hmm. uh, and it is all about how statistically over the last 15 years, no month has proved more completely meaningless to March fortunes than February. Hmm. No month performs worse in terms of total wins. No month performs worse in terms of over and under performance. It's the only month whose monthly top 10 over the last 15 years has performed, has underperformed on average uh, versus overperformance. The hmm. most predictive months are November and December. Why do you and think pe- that is? I think people just see the same teams over and over. There's fatigue. You get injured. You get, you know, all sorts of dumb stuff happens where teams rise out of nowhere to the top. And it, and for one and two seeds, generally, it's pretty stable no matter what. But for three and 16 on, like if you're an A&M and you're rising really hot right now, meaningless. Creighton, meaningless. It, I mean, there are examples of outliers that worked out just fine, but in general, the trend line for February performance is to fade them come hmm. March. So uh, I think there's that. I think there's the fact that they've been without James and Phillips. And obviously, I know people are going to... I think Tennessee's online fan base is one of the most insufferable in all of sports. I'm sorry. Mm. But um, that being said, I think they are just plain wrong in saying that Phillips wouldn't have mattered. Phillips would have been able to draw fouls against an A&M team that is very foul happy. And... Hmm. Those officials really love blowing the whistles. So mm-hmm. 
Um, that was, by the way, the longest regulation game I think I've ever sat through in my life. We were nearing three hours. Like my wife kept uh, coming over. She's like, there, are you still watching the same game? And I'm like, I absolutely am. This game may never end. It, it's insane. And, and mm. if you needed more evidence, and again, probably shouldn't say this, but Pat Adams being a war criminal, <laughs> very much true. Worse for America than most presidents, to be honest. Um, and that's a real statement. Um, but all of this is the all of this is to say, like, we've seen so many worse teams, so many worse offenses make the Elite Eight, the Final Four. Mm-hmm. I lived through an eight seed coming within three points of winning the national title one year ago. Mm. Anything can happen once the calendar flips. I understand you got history and all that, but history is only history until it's not. I mean, Tony Bennett was a terrible March coach until he wasn't. Mm. Jamie Dixon was a terrible March coach until they very nearly wiped out Arizona last year. It's just March is itself. It's its own thing. Mm. It resets the calendar. It resets the clock. I think a big part of it, honestly, is teams get in patterns in conference play. And when you get out of conference play and you're playing, you know, for example, 14 seed Longwood or whatever, those teams have never seen you play in person before. That it's completely different from, you know, Kentucky getting a second chance to scout you or AM having 15 games of SEC data to scout you on or whatnot mm. and seeing like how similar teams have worked against you. Like it's it, it completely resets the calendar in a way that is very unique. And I mean, if Tennessee had sucked in for large parts of November, December or January, I would be more worried. But largely it's just, you know, one offs where it's. They, play, they had a bad game against Colorado. They had a bad game, uh, the first one against Kentucky, where they just shot poorly. Like, those happen from time to time. There's, I think this is just kind of like an out-of-nowhere blip. Like, UConn went through it. Other teams have gone through it. I'm, I'm not giving up, is what I'm saying. Like, I could, I could very easily see this team making the second weekend. Okay. There you go. The balls are back in my Philip Fulmer. I do think that, you know, situationally, they could not ask for a better get right game than Saturday, mm-hmm. where uh, they're going to be pissed off after the last few games. And South Carolina probably poured its entire heart and soul into that Alabama performance. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I, I mean, a team that bad is very unlikely to A, repeat that, and B, have much left in the tank. It's going to say, so it looks spunky. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think that's just like, that could serve as like the okay, let's have some fun, snap and clear a game, and then try and go two and zero in the final week. Because it's not like Auburn is a world beater, and it's not like Arkansas is either. No, but we'll see. We shall see. Will Warren. Um, in terms of the contenders and pretenders list, speaking of March and what will ultimately happen here, two four seven sports had a fun list, uh, kind of outlining who they had. Uh, Kevin Flaherty, who is a really good college basketball writer. No, Will Warren. He's pretty solid, uh, writing about college basketball. Will and he had this list of who he thinks are the contenders and who he thinks are pretenders. Unfortunately, Tennessee did make that list for pretender for him. But when you break down who made his list, who who are you a bigger believer in, Will? So so he's got it kind of split into little groups here and about based on the Ken Palm rankings, I think. Mm. I, I to be frank, skimmed through this because I read a very similar article earlier this week. So I was like, well, I already got all this on hand. But we can blend I, it in. I would believe so of the top four right now, which is uh, these are the one seeds: Alabama, Houston, Purdue, Kansas. Mm. I am much more in on Houston and Purdue than I am the other two. 
uh, their flaws are more manageable to me. Where like Houston's main flaw, aside from like kind of shooting sputters because they take some bad shots, everybody's mm-hmm. got huge flaws this year. They do foul quite a bit. Like they're below average in defensive free throw rate. And Purdue just straight up does not force turnovers, which is, I mean, by design. It's a lot of freshmen, Zach Eady. But again, National Player of the Year on your roster, and Houston's been consensus number one in the metrics all year. I am fading, uh, I would say much more strongly, and it's, you know, we're going to get into it here, Alabama versus hmm. Kansas. I, do, I don't think Kansas is going to go super far this year. Part, and that's kind of a history thing. Like, no previous year's champion has gone even to the Elite Eight since hmm. 2007 Florida, which is quite the stretch. It It's just extremely hard to get hot six games. And they brought a lot of guys back, and that was, like, yeah. another anomaly there. Uh, yeah, that, that was an extremely – I think they brought back three lottery picks or something. Yeah. That never happens anymore, mm-hmm. of course. So uh, it's going to be really hard for them to pull it off. Alabama's thing that I really it's kind of strange I feel like I'm watching the Illinois thing happen all over again mm-hmm. where I I'm confused that no one seems to be talking about this they would have far and away the worst turnover margin on record for a national champion hmm. they're at minus 3.2 per 100 possessions and this was before last night's South Carolina game where they lost the turnover margin battle again uh, and uh, sorry but if you're losing the turnover battle to South Carolina that's an issue um, all of their guards have really bad turnover rates for their position. Brandon Miller actually has by far the best turnover rate on the team uh, in terms of like protecting the ball. And I, I don't know. I just don't really buy it with them because eventually they're going to get into a game where a team is going to pressure the ball really well like Tennessee did against them or like Oklahoma did against them. They're going to give the ball away like they always do. And they're going to either have to shoot the lights out or avoid fouling, which has also been a concern for them. So... Hmm. I I see them I could honestly see them going home like within the first two, three rounds. Like I, I do not think they're making the final four unless they're able to get that turnover problem fixed. I'm still like I'm just not moving off UConn or UCLA. That's who I, I that's who I think wants. It's I, one I of buy those two. UCLA too. Uh UConn they just foul so much that it worries mm. me about depth. But I could see I mean like we've seen UConn make weird runs before so nothing mm. would shock me anymore i feel like they're the they're the true outlier every year mm. and i would i would honestly agree with one of his semi-dark horses texas mm. um if they're if they can just get a little bit better and they've obviously got the talent to do so that's a scary team to draw especially as your two seed for sure um but we'll see uh still a lot of time for folks to uh figure this stuff out but i do think it's funny just everyone's just like all the well we'll get into the who i'm alluding to here in a second um virginia someone you did not mention from that list they did what on wednesday night will um well i think they just cost themselves a top three seed um which they shouldn't have been getting anyway. I mean, they entered the Boston College game 23rd in Ken Palm, mm. which if they had been like a three seed, and they're, I, I don't think I had seen this recently since, because it seems like everybody just adopted the NCAA bracket reveal mm. as their bracket for this week's bracketology stuff. So, because I saw a few where they were like a two seed, and I was like, yeah, what? Because mm-hmm. um, this ACC sucks bad. But, um, Losing to Boston College is like a uniquely bad thing to put on your resume because that's a quad three loss, borderline quad four, I think. And unless Boston College can go on a run here late, which we really haven't seen any signs of them doing, that's a real bad thing to just have on your uh, on your resume. 
And it's kind of weird to say this about a 21 and 5, 13 and 4 ACC team, but I'm a little disappointed in Virginia this year. Hmm. The offense really hasn't come together like I thought it would. They they're still very good at protecting the ball. Defense is pretty solid, but they they don't really shoot very well. Uh, there's nothing they do on like an elite level, I would say anywhere. Jaden Gardner is like a, a pretty good player, but he can't shoot, so that's kind of a problem come March when teams. But can, a good fit for Virginia. Yeah, exactly. Can teams can take that out of the equation? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they were pretty steadily a three seed everywhere I saw. That is really the type of loss that like cements you in as a four or five. And that's dangerous because if you're four or five, that makes your first round opponent that much harder. I mean, the quality of seeds drops dramatically after 12 in general. So if they fall down to a five, like that's a real rough draw for them because one, they're not statistically very good. And two, that opens you up to the chance of having to draw like an Oral Roberts or a Charleston or like someone like that who can really exploit their flaws. Hmm. But they actually have a very funny game coming up on Saturday against what I'm sure will once again be pegged by um, various people as a, quote, desperate North Carolina team. Mm. That means bad, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, A uh, desperate North Carolina team that really, really badly needs to win. Do you think they have to win to make the tournament? or I think North Carolina might have to win out to be on the right side of the bubble. Man. I don't think they're doing that. I don't think they are either. Um, is UNC Asheville a tournament team for you, Will? Well, it's just you got to win your conference, and mm. you know they they did the first thing right, which is you got to win the regular season. Um, but the problem with projecting these one bid leagues is like mm. any sort of stupid stuff can happen in the conference tournament. Uh, I mean, Big South specific. I can remember being really into like Coastal Carolina when Cliff mm-hmm. Ellis had those teams really roll in, and I was like, man, they just lost to an eight seed again in the Big South Conference tournament. Stop mm-hmm. doing it, or you know, like losing out on Winthrop or whatever. Um, it just these conference turns are so hard to project, but they are the best team in that conference. They got the best player in our boy Drew Pember. Love Drew Pember, uh, but they are going to face some stout competition. So they are. 157th in Ken Palm. There's mm. three teams that are 160th through 185th. So they got, they're they probably going to have to beat two of Longwood, Radford, or Gardner-Webb en route to the title. And that's not impossible. But it's it's going to be... They're going to have to pull off a couple of very good wins to get over the hump. But I really hope they do because they're quite fun to watch. I like their coach a lot. Mike Morrell in mm. line for bigger jobs if he wants them. And... Uh, I don't, know, I don't know if this should be interpreted as a boost or whatnot, but like, you know, let's call it what it is. Potential Big South final or, you know, championship opponent Radford, their coach just caught a DUI charge. So I don't feel like they're going to have any momentum going forward. I mean, it's shaping up for them to make like a real run to the tournament. Which would be fun because I think the way they play, they play five out basketball. Like when you watch them play. Um, and they shoot it so well. Yeah, it's uh, Drew Pember. He's like just when you watch it, like they just they play like an NBA team. Like that's just mm-hmm. something I had jotted down when I watched his forty-eight point game the other. Uh, I guess it was a month ago now. Um, it was just they they take quality shots. Almost all of their shots are quality. They move the ball well. 
I think there's someone you don't want to play in the round of 64. Like, first round, I think UNC Asheville is one of those. When we start thinking about some of these smaller league teams, uh, who would be the most dangerous, like, by and large, because a lot of it's just matchup-based, but I think among a lot of the groups, I don't think a lot of folks want UNC Asheville, because if they're hot that weekend and they're shooting the ball well, they're going to be a problem for like a Virginia or if they get a Virginia, if they get like a, even a UCLA, like I don't think a UCLA team wants them. Tennessee definitely doesn't want them uh, in that kind of scenario. I don't know. I think they're a problem for, for a lot of teams. I think it'd be fun. I'd be yeah, tempted to give a first round upset for UNC Asheville. Very likely they'd be like a 15 seed if they got in, which is yeah. not a bad thing, but yeah, I, I think they okay, could well, let's be... do this. If they're a 15 seed among the four number twos right now, who do you think they would be the biggest problem for? Let me pull up our old friend, the bracket matrix. Mm. Baylor. Um, Cause Baylor's it was a terrible def- defense this year. Baylor's defense is God awful. That that's be- with uh, JTT coming back. They still suck on defense. This would be feisty. Cause you don't want to play like that is a fun matchup for UNC Asheville. Yeah. I actually really hope that happens now. And a special mm. shout out, not just to Drew Pember, but to uh, another one of our guys, uh, Tejon Jones on yeah. that team, who is from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. You love it. Oak Ridge, Bearden, UNC. I'm, but it's, it makes sense. Hour and a half yeah. over. Asheville's just an awesome place. I love when other people, like I saw someone tweet, front of the pod tweet, who's like in Asheville. And I was like, oh, this is why Bill Walton loves Asheville. And because Bill Walton's a big Asheville guy. And <laughs> then you, he, they, people, everyone who goes over, they're like, man, what a spot. It's my go-to. I love Asheville. Love that. When I disappear in my 70s, folks, with my <laughs> wife, Sam, that's that's probably where we are somewhere in the Asheville mountains, hanging out with the, the, the black bears probably what we're doing will uh the kansas jayhawks you mentioned no teams made a deep run after winning uh, the national title since um those florida gators 20 years ago they have a corticopia of quad one wins and that's just the talk of the town in college basketball if you had to explain how they're gobbling up these quad one wins how would how would you do so three things Mm -hmm. um combo of the following i think um one they're good two they play in the best conference college basketball and basically every game is a quad one game and Mm. three they i i've always struggled with better coaches to figure out if this is like a luck versus skill thing and i think it's just both but since 2019 i think is a stat they Mm. are 31 and 8 in games decided by six points or less Mm. which is bonkers it is far and away the best win percentage by any uh, big six team. Like the, hmm. so that would be, that's seventy nine percent. The next best on record is sixty three. <laughs> wow, which is like, in the by the way, very funny. Held by Arizona State, hmm. um, your favorite. Yeah, the worst team in basketball. Anyway, <laughs> um, but it, I I think it's like it's a combination of luck and skill. It's just like. They're they're unarguably lucky to win 80% of close games. At the same time, their head coach is Bill Self, so I kind of just expect it at this point. Mm. When you have a combination of like top five player in college basketball and Jalen Wilson, top five freshman in college basketball and Grady Dick, though he's faded a little bit from the early season love, he's still shooting it really well. And then a good, they don't have like a real bench, I wouldn't say. Like they have the ninth lowest percentage of bench minutes in all of college basketball this Mm. year. And it's kind of basically about a seven-man rotation, sometimes a six-man rotation, yeah. which worries me for March, honestly, if they get into foul trouble. 
But the guys that play all the minutes, like, they're just all efficient. Like, Dewan Harris, very efficient point guard. Kevin McCuller, good role player. K.J. Adams, really evolving to a very good small ball center. Mm-hmm. Um, even Joseph Yusufu off the bench has, like, his positives. Bobby Pettiford as well. I, I like this team. I don't love them, but... I think that they're going to be they're they're going to strike me as a team that when they lose in March it's not going to be close. Mm. Like a team just has to get hot against them and ride the wave. And I think it's honestly held true in all their losses. Like the only truly close one start to finish was that Kansas State loss. Like Tennessee lost by 14, could have been 20. TC lost by 23 at home. Lost by 6 to Baylor in a game that again could have been much worse than lost by 15 to Iowa State. They don't really have close losses, which is an interesting thing where for metrics especially, like I would say objectively, it's kind of between them and Purdue, I would argue, mm-hmm. for best resume in college hoops. You could also toss Alabama in there. Um, but I think at some point it's just like really hard to argue with however many quad one wins they have now. But at the same time, they keep having to like inch these out. Like It's good to inch them out against quad one teams. It's not so good when you're having to inch them out against like Southern Utah or, you know, Iowa State at home or Oklahoma at home or whatnot. So I, I don't know. I'm really curious to see what they do. And I hear from our man, Matt Norlander, that the all-time record, I think, is 14. And it's like a three-year deal. But 14 quad one wins. I think they're going to smash that. Like, they could easily get to, you know, 16, 17 by Selection Sunday. And I feel like if you got 17, there's a 0% chance you're anything other than a one seed. Mm-hmm. man uh, it will be fun though i like i think the sport is more fun i think sports in general is more fun when the defending champ is formidable the following mm-hmm. year where it's not like they just completely fade into obscurity or it was like a one-year run type deal where it's like they're gonna go into the tournament as a one seed and just like come get us and like understanding that their backs against the wall and they're fighting history and this that and the other i think that's good for the sport that kansas is a juggernaut and back-to-back years um so yeah well, i think uh, i think yeah. it's good that they're they're you know formidable enough but they have real flaws like yeah it would kind of suck if they were just like number one again yeah to be honest um but for them to be like still very good but have some obvious flaws that they're they're still squeezing the most out of the roster pretty mm-hmm. fun to watch um i would note though like the one thing that's held very steady throughout all of their losses is turnovers mm-hmm. like they have a re- it, it doesn't come out often but generally when they underperform they've got a real turnover problem yeah so i'm very curious to see like and we're not going to know for two more weeks but who they draw in their bracket i think that's going to matter a lot for how far they can make it i was thinking about this too uh, when you think about Kim Palm and just extrapolating out for 10 more years or so, like I think about like, you know, the SEC just winning national title after national title. And that's not going anywhere. When you look at just conference spending and IL spending where guys want to live and play and they want to stay close <laughs> yeah. to home and live in the South. And that's just part of it. I know. Sorry for your Michigan Wolverines. Well, but it's still <laughs> just going to be a challenge um to get a lot of folks to sign up for that michigan cold uh november and december from uh, florida and alabama kids and so on and so forth but what are you talking about everybody wants to play for juan's defense that's true that, that is true uh, that's, the, that's a great selling point if you come it can't be worse <laughs> reasonably what i was getting at though Will, <laughs> is that like houston right now is number one in Kim bomb they'll be a big 12 team next year right last yes. year kansas number one team in the country win it all 
Big 12 team. I was thinking about it. If Gonzaga, I think the the writing is in the wall. Gonzaga is going to make the move to the Big 12. Mm-hmm. You look at it, and I'm like, I think I think the Big 12 just might have the best team in the national champion in the conference every year for like the next 10 years. I think we might be on a, a crazy Big 12 run where you you look at who they're going to add and who they already have and where the conference is looking. Like it, I don't know. I was just thinking about that where I'm like, I think the Big 12 might sneakily just start to really, really dominate the top of the sport year over year um, like the SEC does in football. Uh, plausible. I mean, I would like it because I think Big 12, the Big 12 fan bases are insane, but not in like a Twitter way. Yeah. I feel like they're they're still all on Facebook, which I can appreciate. Like they're, they, I don't know. I just find the charm in their insanity is, you know, better to me. Mm. So I'm, I'm for it. There you go. I like it. Um, Vanderbilt's not allowed to have nice things. Well, you read this week that like, oh, on the bubble, like Stackhouse, does he have the or Vanderbilt combination the bubble? bubble? Oh, there were some Vanderbilt fans who were tweeting out that they were close to the bubble going into that USC. That's year. right. They they found it on the uh, the QAnon board <laughs> on um on eight chan. They they've really gotten into uh, the uh, the Jerry drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sorry, the Joe drops from a uh, no. I've got it. I've got it. We're cooking this bit up in real time. Luanon for Joe Lunardi. Oh, wow. uh, there you go. There you go. I love I love an organic bit. Well. An organic yeah. bit's one of the best kind of bits. Yeah, especially for a B plus outcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they lose to LSU, who we talked about last week. Well, it's like, oh, could they just lose every single SE? Like, could they just keep losing for the major, like the rest of twenty twenty three? Like, just not get a twenty twenty three victory. Thankfully, Vanderbilt exists because they just they lose to LSU, and I was like going through, and I'm like, I don't know if the national folks understand just how deflating and how depressing this of a loss this had to be for Vanderbilt fans because you think mm-hmm. you're like even if they're not on the bubble it's like you think you're turning the corner you think you've hit your stride and maybe like there is some hope a little bit down the stretch here for Vanderbilt and then it's like we just lost to an absolutely horrible LSU team who has not won a game in 2023 I just a, an unreal egg laid mm-hmm. by the Commodores this week well, it was just like, I thought it was kind of overdue in a way because mm. they, I mean, they've had some amazing close game luck lately. The yeah. Tennessee game is the obvious one to point to, but like mm-hmm. they got really lucky to beat um, Auburn and Ole Miss. I thought mm-hmm. both very close wins. Uh, you know, you shoot over 50% against Florida and Florida goes two for, or sorry, from three, over 50% from three. Florida goes two for 20. Like, mm-hmm. that's just not, I mean, like they were overdue for something bad to happen, but to do it to LSU is so specifically damaging that it, it almost erases everything they've done mm-hmm. aside from the Tennessee win. Like the, I don't think the Ole Miss win moves any needles, but like it pretty much single-handedly erases winning at Florida and beating Auburn to me because that is like a uniquely really bad loss to take. Mm-hmm. So that is their second quad three loss of the year. They are absurdly lucky Southern Miss turned out to be Southern Miss, by the way, and not a mm-hmm. bad team. So second quad three loss and third quad three or quad four loss i but the thing is like they can still close pretty well like you could finish over 500 in sec play which is a step in the right direction genuinely mm-hmm. um so i i think they've they've still got something like liam robbins still really awesome but i don't know this it's just kind of like more confirmation to me of some aspect of why this is just not going to work long term mm-hmm. you tennessee's got their problems right 
Mm. Tennessee does not own a loss nearly as bad as LSU. That's that's just a loss you cannot take if you want to be a serious team. Yeah. Man, brutal, brutal loss for the Commodores. Um, I, I still think they are going to finish two and one, though. I think okay. they're not going to lose to Florida. I don't think like Castleson being out is a real bummer. Probably well, losing on, road though. Kentucky. Wait, they found their secret weapon, which is their fans in attendance. That's true. Uh, the really doing a good one for a online Florida fan image there. Um, I mean, they've had a rough week. Like all their coordinators are leaving for NFL jobs or other schools. Yeah. Like it's not a great week for the Gators. They blow a huge lead against South Florida in the in the ninth in college baseball. South Florida comes back and wins late. Like it's not a great week for the Gators altogether. That's uh, that's all true. Those are all things I knew about before mm-hmm. you said them. Um, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think they can beat Florida, probably mm. lose to Kentucky. Mississippi State is the swing game between finishing 500 and above 500. Hmm. And that's at home. But Mississippi State playing all right lately, so I don't know. We'll see uh, if that ultimately ends up happening. Yeah, they were, remember, they were fun. They were like flirting with like the top 15 uh, out of the gate here this season. That mis- undefeated Mississippi State team feels like forever ago. Um, <laughs> speaking of what else feels like forever ago, you're going to like this transition. Devin Harris, remember him? Remember when Devin Harris mm-hmm. was a great point guard for the Wisconsin Badgers? Remember Frank Kaminsky? Will Warren? Remember when... Oh, I do. I remember Frank Kaminsky. Remember Bo Ryan? Remember the Badgers? Just the elite of college basketball? Now they're not so late. I don't here's, think they're going to the tournament. Here's more remember some guys for you. How about a mm-hmm. Bronson Koenig? Okay. Remember Nigel him? Hayes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Butch. Yes. That's a real classic. Brian Butch is the reason they didn't make it to the Sweet 16 in 2007 because he got mm-hmm. hurt. They're not going to make the tournament. And I wonder for you, like, why are they this bad this year? And do you think this team should go in a different direction there's been some like will they fire will they won't do you think now is the time if you're wisconsin i mean they just made a fire hire situation with uh paul chris in football and you're always wonder like will they do that kind of thing in the back like the same year could you do you really want to make those kind of big changes to your two biggest revenue sports and in succession like that but i don't know wisconsin basketball we we've seen the best version of it and this is not anywhere close, and it feels like it's just getting slowly worse and worse each year here. Well, I'm withholding my snark on this one. I had something mm. mean to say, but I won't say it about okay. Wisconsin. Um, I, I think, to be honest, they weren't really projected to be very good metrics-wise this year. Like, they entered 55th in Ken Palm. I mm. think they're in the 60s in Torvik, and so they're 64th right now. So they're honestly right about what I expected it just mm. took a roundabout way to get there where they played really well in November and December and then have kind of cratered in Big Ten play. Mm. Um, I don't know. So the Paul Chris thing is interesting to me because the Paul Chris situation to me is different in that he was clearly on a downward trend. Like it got a little bit worse every year until it got a lot worse every year. Mm-hmm. Hasn't totally been the case with Greg Gard. Like, he, he had a couple of good teams at the start, kind of wavered in the middle, but like the last four teams, and the 2020 team would have made the tournament as like a four or five seed had that tournament happen. Last four teams have all been some shade of good to very good. Last year's team was obviously immensely overrated because they got insanely lucky in close games, but they were still a three seed and they won a game in the tournament. Like that's not bad. 
This is to me like the first clear true underachievement year in a long while. Hmm. Um, I would give him another year to to like make a decision or a call there. I don't think because I do think like recruiting and portal wise, they've got to get better. Like the Connor Asijan guy they've picked up as a freshman is quite good. That was a really mm-hmm. good recruiting piece to have. They've got some other you know good spots here and there. But I, to be honest, the sooner this is mean to say, but the sooner they get it, like Tyler Wall out is probably the better. Like just a usage monster that doesn't make shots you don't really want on your team, and it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like they've been able to control him. But I'm not really sure who else should be taking shots is the problem. Um, you hope like Chucky Hepburn can get better with an additional year. You hope Stephen Crow can become more efficient. I, I I would like to see. You could say this about so many teams, but especially for Wisconsin. It would serve them and Greg Gard well to hire like an offensive coordinator of sorts. Hmm. Like, uh, and like, I don't expect Wisconsin to turn into Alabama basketball overnight. Like they seem to want to in football, mm-hmm. but I I think there's just like a way beyond like, all right, there's 17 seconds on the clock left to this possession. Let's give it to Tyler Wall. Everybody clear out, and he's going to post up for the next 14 seconds, only to miss the shot. Hmm. That seems like half of Wisconsin's possessions to me. They've just got to be more creative. And I think there's going to be a little pressure on them this offseason. I think they've made it clear, like, they're not going to do things the old Wisconsin way because if the old Wisconsin way still existed, Paul Christ would still be head coach. Um, I'm, I I think he's going to get another year, maybe even two, to really turn it around. But I, I think the time for messing around here is kind of lost. And definitely last year's team feels like it was elevated by one you know, NBA lottery pick. So. Hmm. I think there's going to be some big, big 10. Like, who do you think is the biggest big 10 coach fired this cycle? Cause Minnesota's bad. Michigan would be brutal. Um, it would actually be quite funny. I won't lie. Wisconsin's right there. Uh, who else are we putting on this? Uh, I, I'm going board? to give you one that's not going to get fired, but I, based on a couple of people I know and trust, I actually anticipate will open. Um, Chris Holtman leaving Ohio State for another job just to reset the clock. Hmm. I think that would be that's kind of pretty high on my list of like jobs that could reasonably open and you know give the guy another chance to you know try something new at a different school. I could see that. So you're saying Holtman like he leaves voluntarily like, of to, his own accord because they won't fire him. I don't think they, he has got, to go somewhere lower, right? Like it'd be such a weird look to go up. He's going down a level. Is he doing like the Thad Matta or Sean Millard type thing? He's going he'd go to Notre Dame. Do you think Notre Dame? I mean, I, I was yeah. going to say that because they do better. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't actually. think it's, it's him or Pat Kelsey and Chris Holtman technically has the better resume. Hmm. I mean, yeah, he hasn't won a conference title or whatever yet, but I mean, it's a lot of tournament bids he's got under his yeah. belt. So hmm. I, I could see that. Like, it would Is that a good job? Notre Dame? No, Ohio State. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Ohio State's got money off the wazoo, man. They could, I mean, like, yeah, it all goes into football, but like, they mm-hmm. have so much money that at least some of it is going to go to hoops. Feels like and they that, have the Georgia problem where their baseball and basketball is just kind of taking a significant backseat to just keeping the football program at powerhouse. Fair, but like... I mean, like Ryan Donnelly on Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. my man Big Ryan said, I think it's Ohio State's last six coaches have all made at least one Sweet 16 at the school hmm. by uh, until Holtman, who hasn't yet. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't discount like him eventually doing it V-State, but the six previous, I'd say there are five or six previous to Holtman have all made at least one uh, Sweet 16. So, What's his Notre Dame tie? 
cat uh, catholicism oh, <laughs> he grew up in is that re- okay he yeah. is catholic all right so but that i wouldn't there's a couple other lower maybe not lower tier ones but like ones that i wouldn't expect and aren't quite as attractive but you could see happening and again these are of their own volition guys because mm-hmm. i don't see any obvious firings on the books mm-hmm. um fran leaving iowa wouldn't be a stunner for like kind of a similar notre dame type of thing and then i i don't huh. think I don't, when he retire like, how old is fran Fran's in his like late 50s, I think. He's is that older. it? Sorry, Fran. And, and I, I, think, I, I, I aged you. That was my Fran bad. Fran is 63. So I, okay. I, actually, he could retire. But And plus his sons. I think this is their last year there. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then the one that I, I don't think is, uh, I doubt is actually going to happen, but I'm just curious about because it, it's like a job where I can't imagine staying at long if you actually have success at it. Mm. Uh, Chris Collins in Northwestern, another like clock resetting thing. Yeah. Because it's like, how could you really top this year? Because it's kind of been a really magical last two months. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with Pat Fitzgerald. It's like when he made the Big Ten title game, it's like, just retire. Just take the NFL job now. Take the Bears because you're literally yeah. never had doing this ever again. You got Northwestern to a Big Ten title game. Like that's... Just, just write on a, on that kind of good note because it's going to be bad the majority of your time there. And not, not only that, Chris Collins isn't even fifty; he's forty-eight. Yeah. He has a lot of time left if he wants it. So, I mean, I, I think like obviously this year they're going to get in. He Is might Chris win Collins a game or Catholic? Two. Can he get in the Notre Dame fold? Uh, that's a great question. We'll uh, I'll consult the the priest. Um, mm-hmm. let, we'll uh, Wikipedia is not really helping me here, frankly. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that just because it's logically in my head not a job you want to stay at long if you have a lot of success Mm -hmm. they just don't have the resources to keep up yeah all right man well that's all i've got outside of our stat of the week so what uh what is our stat of the week as we wrap up here on a thursday evening before khaleesi the dog loses her absolute mind at the end of this (laughs) very podcast well so we haven't talked about this player all year or i think Mm. ever but mm. I think we need to have a small little three-minute segment on Antoine Davis at Detroit Mercy. Okay. Um, so Detroit plays tonight. It'll be up tomorrow, of course, this podcast. Mm. But so Antoine Davis has a minimum of, at this moment as I'm speaking, three games left in his college career. He has scored 3,543 points over his <laughs> now five seasons. Pete Maravich, or Maravich, whatever it is, mm. is the all-time record holder at 3,667. So Antoine would need to score 124 over at minimum these final three games to become the all-time scoring leader. And that's a record that's held for nearly 50 years. Mm. Actually, over 50 years. And so uh, obviously Detroit's not a good team. I think they're right at 500 in the horizon. But if they can even win one uh, Horizon League tournament game, Mm -hmm. he could be the all-time scoring leader. Which is an amazing thing to say, like, you've seen happen. It's a shame that he's done it in complete obscurity. Like, nobody mm-hmm. cares about Detroit basketball. Nobody's watched a second of their games, unless they've been seeking it out on ESPN+. And I see the dog going nuts in the background, so I'm wrapping this up quick. Can you really see her? I can hear her. Yeah. It's not your fault. It's like the cat litter, or, I mean, the cat feeding thing going yeah. off last week. Goodness gracious. I apologize. That's Okay. But I, I really do recommend they're going to be on ESPN Plus because all mm-hmm. the Horizon League games are. Yeah. Catching one of these last Detroit games because there's no guarantee to what Antoine does in the NBA. No guarantee you see him do anything like this at the next level. But what a special accomplishment it is to see just the second ever 3,500 plus point score. Yeah. 
That's a it's a good one. I like it, Will. Um, we can also read you. Oh, Khaleesi's oh, yeah. a fan. Stats and by Will. Please, will please ignore okay. that Antoine took 140 games to get there while Mirovich took 83, which is just insane. Yeah. Um, but yes, statsbywill.substack.com. Lots of NSA tournament content and whatnot. I've got a conference tournaments preview dropping next Monday. Mm-hmm. That'll be, I'll make it free. So be on the watch out for that. Uh, but the price is now going to be, t- I think, $12 to access all of the March Madness content. That's twelve dollars for a full year, so that takes you into next February if you buy it. There you go. So, get what it. are you doing? If you're a fan of this very program, you're subscribed Apple, Spotify, YouTube, whatever, and you're not already subscribed to StatsByWill.Substack.com, what are you doing? It's part of the yeah, family. Seriously. It's part of the CTPN family here, and <laughs> uh, that's what we're looking for. So go do that today. Will, thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.